James, what's up, buddy? Man, not a whole lot. Good to hear from you. Yeah, you said that like we don't talk on the phone. <laughs> I know, but it's always <laughs> good to hear from you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Dude, I am uh, I'm really pumped up about this conversation. So as everybody listening, you should know by now, unless this is your first episode, which welcome. Uh, the whole point of Millennial Manhood is to help young men, or really just people in general, but it is focused towards young men. Uh, become become better members of their you know communities, become better family members, become just better human beings overall, and so that we can all learn from each other's stories and, and a rising tide lifts all boats. So I had a conversation with James about talking specifically about one topic today, really focused, really intentional, really direct about the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller and uh, Jay Papazan. So Gary Keller is is the founder of Keller Williams Realty. And Jay Papazan is is the co-author of the book, and he's actually from Memphis. Fun fact, James. I don't I don't know if you knew that. I did. I looked him up, and Gary Keller is a Baylor alum as well, so I like him even more. Well, okay, then there you go. Um, so let, let's let's take a step back. So, from your recollection, because I'm actually trying to remember how we came up with the idea for this, but why do we decide to do this from your point of view? Well, I guess we got to back up even more. Uh, so you introduced this book to me because I think, what, last quarter of the year you were reading this and you were super excited about it. You even sent me some of the tools that came along with the book. And so I started reading about it. I, so from from what you told me about it, I started reading about it and researching it. And I was like, man, this sounds exactly like what I need to start implementing in my life. Like the theme of just the one thing and the focusing question as we'll get into a little bit later. Uh so we both got fired up about it. And then I was telling you that I wanted to read the book. And so you, you just went ahead and sent me the copy. And so that got me even more fired up about it because, hey, it's, it's free, right? <laughs> yeah, so, free to you. Yeah. So I was super excited to just hop on it that quickly. And so when I got in and you like, well, boom, let me, let me get on it too. And then we were talking back and forth and you said, it would be great if we had an episode on this. And I was like, man, it would be because then we can just kind of air out all the things that went on in our heads as we were reading this, the different revelations we have and the things that this book is going to help us uh, to change our lives and better. Yeah, exactly. And so you remember I did a productivity challenge episode last quarter Mm -hmm. or last quarter of 2018. Right. And I haven't done a uh, update. So here's the update. And the reason I haven't done an update is quite frankly, there is no compliant way from a work standpoint for me to do an update on that episode where I do a deep, deep dive just because it was so, uh, work focused. So everybody listening, just trust me. It worked compliance folks listen to my podcast. So, Hey guys, and I'll just leave it at that. It worked. It worked really, really, really well. So I'm really excited about, about the conversation. It was so eye opening because that focusing question, and I talked about it in that one episode is, you know, what's the one thing you can do this week or day or whatever, where it, it makes everything else either unnecessary or, or uh, minuscule in a sense of how to focus your intentions. And it, it has a whole section on multitasking. And what really struck me was uh, there's a quote in the book that says to do two things at once is to do neither. Mm. And that slapped me across the face when I read that. And I thought, wow, I am really spreading myself thin and I'm not focusing on my one thing or, or the one thing that it could be, or what even is my one thing? So what were some of your impressions as you were reading this originally? Oh, man, like just some of the, the the way the book is laid out is just very unique. 
just for starters, it, it has images all the way through and not in like a, a kitty type of way. That was that was kind of mind blowing, mind opening, eye opening. But um, from the jump, it tells you what this book is about, you know, with the image of the domino effect. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that part. But what really smacked me across the face was when I got to the chapter on willpower. Willpower is not on will call. In, uh, yeah. in the first part about the lies that the culture tends to tell us. And a quote that I loved, willpower has a limited battery life, but can be recharged with some downtime. It's a limited but renewable resource. So I love the kind of putting it in a box of renewable resource instead of thinking that it's just always there. You can just call it up at any, conjure it up in any moment and just pour yourself out. Because, I mean, what I do in training, I'm always thinking, I got to be on, I got to be on, I got to be on. But the reality is I'm a human being and I'm going to be down sometimes. I'm going to lack motivation at times, but I got to pick it back up. And so just it reinforced planning and how there's a battery life on the world. If you plan appropriately, you'll be able to get the most bang for your buck when you need to get the most bang for your buck. So let's talk about it from the standpoint of your training in particular. And I know personally in my life, you know, it's it's that juggling effect. I'm trying to juggle all this stuff and I'm trying to throw one ball up and not drop the next one that comes comes around. And there's only so much energy you could have around that. So, you know, in the world of training where the high level training that you're doing for the competitions that you're that you're participating in, it takes up so much mental energy. I mean, what were you doing? What actually changed after you read the one thing and started applying some of those principles tangibly? My planning has changed dramatically. And from the sense, going back to the willpower statement, since my willpower is limited, and there's a statement in the book about how you go, 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 and you use all this mental energy to where at the end of the day, you're just going to gorge out on junk food and stuff that's terrible for you because you don't have any more discipline or willpower stores to like stop you from, from just being a pig. And I find myself doing that at times, not to outrageous levels, but just like having some sweets and things like that that I don't need to have because, man, I work my butt off on the track. I drain every single ounce of energy mentally and physically to where my brain is just fried. But when I read that statement about willpower, having a limited life and how it's renewable, it made me realize how, okay, well, if it's, if it's limited, I can plan for the times when I can use it. I can use it appropriately and get the most bang for the buck. So now at the beginning of the day, I plan out the day and I think about how I'm going to be feeling after certain activities. I have that time to where I can just think about the energy that's already been taken out of the day and which block of time will be the best for me to to do certain things. So like my training is typically in the morning. So that's kind of my one thing, right? That's what is my one thing. So that block of time in the morning that I have dedicated to training, I knock that out of the way first thing in the morning. Sometimes I have two sessions. So then the evening is blocked out as well. And then the middle of the day is blocked out for recovery. So as I set that day up, I know that I can be productive throughout the day, even doing other things that may not be my one thing, but I have to time in and naps or time in just, uh, food time for refueling so I can recover and re- build up that renewable source of energy willpower is, you know? 
Dude, it struck me so hard when you were talking about going, 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 and then at the end of the day, pigging out on junk food or whatever it may be. It's so true. It's so, so true. And it it doesn't feel like it should be true because we maybe it's the ego. Maybe it's just male arrogance. I don't know. But I, I feel like we should be able to just control ourselves. But when you when you are in such an intensely disciplined environment for an extended period of time, it's like the moment the shackles come off, you turn into another creature. Mm. Man, that's so true. It's like there are two personalities within one. And like you said, as men, I think we tend to feel like, oh, I have reign over every aspect of my life and I can just turn it on and turn it off at any moment. But the reality is so far from that. Like if you drain yourself in one area, you're not going to have enough for that other area. Like the intro to the book says, if you chase two rabbits, you won't catch either. You have to be very direct with your planning. Well, but that's the hard part because it also means delegating other parts of your life. So I know a lot of folks who are entrepreneurs listen to this podcast. I know a lot of folks who are in sales and in just professional roles listen to this. And the scariest part, especially for high achievers, is to delegate and let go. And I can tell you from personal experience, hiring staff and delegating things, it's the most terrifying thing in the world. Because, and it doesn't make any sense, because even though I'm doing a crappy job at this, because I'm stretched too thin, I still don't want to let it go, because I still feel like at my best, I can do a better job. But the reality of the situation is, it's not getting my best effort. So delegating it is the most efficient way to get something accomplished. And another, I'll let you go in a second, but another, uh, I just felt like this quote fit in well. Uh, Another quote from the book, it's from page 44. Multitasking is merely the opportunity to screw up more than one thing at a time. (laughs) Man, that's that's funny. I love that. (laughs) I like the humor in there. Like, Sorry, it's so true. Say. It's so true. Though. Oh, so. Uh, it is. <laughs> that's one thing. Delegating has been one thing that I have struggled with so much in my professional career. Uh, it's like when you become proficient at something and maybe the others around you have not done something before, they don't have the experience. It's like you think. I know the best of me can get this done best, but mm-hmm. you're not at your best at all times. And like you said, when you spread yourself so thin, none of the areas are getting the best of you, especially the most important areas. So that makes me think about when he talks about the Pareto principle, the 80-20 mm-hmm. rule, uh, and how 20% yep. of things get, 20% of the um, the efforts give 80% of the results and how he even focused it even more and said that one thing gives you the majority of that 80%. So I love that. And that really helped me wrap my mind around it even more and how you have to delegate, you have to let go of some things that are not the most important thing. And the reality is the things that you'll be letting go, they matter, but they don't matter as much as that one thing. And when your strengths are tailored for something, uh, when your strengths are tailored towards your purpose and your actions are tailored towards your purpose, if you're getting that 20% thing done, are you getting that that one thing done that's gonna like knock down all those dominoes in a row? It's your time is much more 
much more essential. Like your, the use of your time is so much more productive when you do it like that instead of just trying to have a white knuckle grip on every single thing and not being able to give up anything. Well, and I think part of it is when you do delegate out and you stop focusing on the things that are not part of that 20%, uh, your ego will take a bruise because you'll realize you weren't even that good at the stuff that you de- that you didn't delegate before. Yeah, you'll realize that you're replaceable, just like everyone is. Like it. <laughs> oh, but that that's the key. So you're replaceable when you're doing a million different things. Mm. But if you become an expert at one thing, all of a sudden you have leverage. Mm. And you have a value that can't be easily recreated. Correct. So in our society, we've lost the expert. It doesn't exist anymore. Everybody's a jack of a million trades, an expert of none. We're all doing a million different things at once. And none of it really is – we just don't have skill sets anymore. Um, with exceptions, obviously. But overall, as a, as a society, we, we don't. Anybody can check your email, bro. like it ain't that hard um and and i think about a lot of the stuff when i think back at reading the book and looking over my notes from the the original read you know even something as simple so when i was um when i was working out at iron tribe which for folks who don't know it's it's like a crossfit gym um even though it's not affiliated with crossfit so don't sue me crossfit whatever it's about it's a gym you go in you pay a bunch of money workouts are you know set up for you and I loved it because I did not have to think about a single thing besides showing up. So the only discipline it took was to show up. That's it. Because once I'm there, I'm going to do the workout. But if I have to create my own workout, the discipline I have to do is go to the gym, create a workout, create a workout for every single day, make sure I'm like working all the different body parts, uh, put in recovery, all these other other things. Whereas here, yeah, I was paying good money for it, but I was also getting a good service where, again, the only willpower it took was to show up and then it just got done. And there's just so many different little dominoes, like the example in the book uses, where it falls, then it, it takes down a domino that's bigger than the one before and bigger and bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, you've got a domino. I don't remember. Do you remember how much bigger the, the last domino would be? In the example, oh, it was used. like from here to the moon, basically something like that. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah. So you can you can have massive impact on your life and other people, other people's lives. And I mean, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is just seeing men, our generation. What are you noticing regarding some of the lessons you've implemented from after reading the book? Men of our generation are really just spread so thin. We think that everything is of equal importance. And I think a lot of that comes from the media, especially social media, because there's an, everyone has an agenda on there and everyone makes it as though this is the most important thing. This right here will change your life in itself. So then you think that you have to combine all of these different things that you see, like you got to work out like this, you got to do this workout, but then those two workouts conflict. But then you have to eat like this, you have to do keto, but then you have to do Whole30, but then you have to do all these different things all at once, but it's impossible. Uh, So I love the example that they had in the book about doing the the to-do list and how to-do lists, as we know it traditionally, are not really great because that assumes that everything is of equal importance on it. Correct. So I feel like in our, the men of our generation, we think that product, we mistake um, activity for productivity. So thinking that just going through the to-do list 
that we're getting things done. But we might be getting things done, but things of no importance. And so we just have to make sure that we take time to think about our purpose and which actions will start that domino effect, which action will actually make a difference in my life besides just merely moving moving a box from one side to the other, then having to move it back later and not actually going anywhere, standing still in the same spot with your actions. So that actually makes me think of, so I use a planner. And again, I don't get paid to plug this. I just think it's awesome. It's called the Full Focus Planner. It's by Michael Hyatt. I love it because the way it organizes my day, it doesn't assume every activity is of equal importance. So when you plan out your week, when you plan out your quarter, when you plan out your day, there's a hierarchy of um, tasks or goals that need to be achieved. And I mean, think about it. So let's go back, I don't know, 500 years. You're some peasant in England, okay? (laughs) Yes, peasant in England. Sorry, let's say Scotland since Gilreath is Scottish. You've got a hierarchy of tasks you need to accomplish that day. You're probably working in some field where you're barely getting any of the any of the produce because the local lord gets all the money, but you still need to feed feed your family. So probably chopping firewood not as important in July as it would be in December. There was this natural order of having to prioritize things, and in 2019, when all of our basic needs are met in the United States, you're you're not going to go hungry. You're not going to you know. Uh, end up in the in in the rain you've got these you know magical caves that you live in called homes we we lose that vision for what's a priority and and the worst part of it all is in my opinion you mentioned this but social media and our cell phones and just the little notifications in general our brain recognizes every notification as equally important so you could be at the doctor and the doctor could be telling you about how you're pre-diabetic and you need to lose weight and your and your pocket vibrates, and your mind goes to, "Ooh, I wonder what that notification is." Like, no, you, your doctor's telling you you're, you're pre-diabetic. You need to focus on that. That should be your one thing at that moment. Yes, and that's what that's what I like so much about the concept of the, of time blocking, which I never thought about calling it that, but I think we all kind of do that. We know that when something is important in front of us, this is the only thing I can focus on right now. So you had to block out all distractions. So like. Uh, turning off your work email or turning off your text messages while you're somewhere important doing your thing. Uh, yeah, it's just those notifications are ridiculous, man. I'll, I'll tell you right now, the best decision I ever made was get a business phone. So I used my business phone and my personal phone used to be the same phone. And I would, you know, get up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom and I would see I got an email on my business email and I would open the email and it would be like a bad email. And then I'm just pissed off the, the rest of the night. So in 2014, I got a business line and it genuinely changed my life from a just anxiety standpoint because I could put it away. If I was out with my friends, it wasn't on me. If I was on a date, it wasn't on me. If I was at the gym, it wasn't on me. If uh, you know I was just hanging out watching a movie at nine o'clock at night, it wasn't on me. I could get back to it in the morning because nothing was that urgent for me to interrupt my night hanging out with my buddies or whatever it was. That, that reminded me of the part in the book where it talks about, pretty much talks about compartmentalizing the different areas of your life. And I don't remember all the different areas he said off the top of my head right now, but he said that think of all the different areas of your life and all the different things you have to juggle. Work, you have maybe um, you, volunteering, you have whatever it is, all the different, your family, 
um, you have to remember that family is a glass ball and the other ones are rubber. For instance, work, that's a rubber ball. When it drops, it's going to bounce right back up. But when you drop that glass ball for family, that's going to shatter and you can't get that back. You had to put the pieces back together before you get to throw that back up in the air and start juggling it again. So I thought that was really profound because we tend to think a lot of times because work is tied to our livelihood and how we make a living to help our families. We tend to think that that is the most important thing sometimes. And it's really not. It tend, There's up and downs in every business um, and it's going to come back. So we had to compartmentalize those areas and really focus on the things that are important in the appropriate times. Well, and I think part of that is as men is work oftentimes is the one place that's our thing. You know what I mean? Um, you may go home and deal with family or siblings or parents or whatever, and you may not be the most important person at that very moment. The, the world doesn't revolve around your decisions and your actions. There's other human beings you really have to account for. And I think that's why so many guys can get obsessed with their work because it's something that they feel they can control. Again, it's, it's the, it's the aspect of not delegating it just in a different, in a different concept. Right. By contributing value at work and feel the importance, you feel your self-importance, tie your identity up into that. Yeah. And well, another quote from the book is until my one thing is done, everything else is a distraction. Mm. And that's very eye opening as well, because, you know, I mean, think about it. How many people do you talk to? I hear this all the time who tell you that half of their job is just responding to emails mm. like their work day. Yeah. I say the majority of people I talk to, they talk about the flood of emails they get. Yeah. In 2019, like you never come across somebody and they're like, oh, thank God you got me at this moment. I'm all caught up. Yeah. It's, it's impossible to check every single email. But the thing is, they all they don't all have the same importance. So you got to be able to differentiate between them. So what was it about this book and this message that resonated with you so much in, in regards to, so I know you and I both read a lot of self-help help books, but I do feel like a lot of self-help books are kind of useless because they repeat the same information and they just say, just go do it. It's like, oh yeah, just here's the solution. Just go do it. And it's like, well, <laughs> if it was that easy, you know, there wouldn't be a self-help industry. But what was it about this book in particular that really just slapped you across the face and, and it was that eye-opening experience? Yeah. It's funny you said, like you said, I read a lot of self-help books too. Most of them have the same message. And this book has a very, has the same message as well. Just better yourself. Right. But the way that it articulated that, it helped me to articulate things that I've been struggling with internally that I didn't know how to articulate. And now that I can articulate it, for instance, the, the willpower is always on will call that lie that we tell ourselves. I always feel like I'm behind every day, no matter, even if I get my one thing done, I always tend to feel like I'm behind and like I always seem to be on and pay attention to everything because uh, I feel like I wasn't on all day. I feel like, man, I could have given more here. I could have given more there. Well, I got my most important thing done. And there's a lot of things that maybe could have gotten done, but probably didn't have to be done. And so that helped me to really stand firm in that truth. Uh, there's a quote I love from the book when it said, when you do the right thing, it can liberate you from having to monitor everything. Mm. That was so freeing to me when I read that. I think that might be one of my favorite quotes in the book because of my temptation to just be on all the time and think there's always something that I have to address or else I'm going to be behind. 
Um, so that statement was kind of the beginning of me like being being engaged and plugged into prioritizing and focusing on my one thing and how that one thing can once you get your one thing done that can knock out the majority of the results the majority of the the benefits that you need to be done in your life and that one fell swoop but yeah man it's it's uh it's funny because i'm i'm listening to another book from david goggins and he said i love that book Oh you, yeah, you I can't just started it on audiobook. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Oh man, it but, makes you feel like the biggest pansy. <laughs> it does. I'm just starting it, so don't ruin it for me. But uh, he says that people change through study, habits, and stories. And I felt like this book had the perfect uh, combination of those. It, it gave material for you to study, like facts and and science behind things, and then it taught you about habits. And how that's the way that you are disciplined through your habits. So you, you just had to be disciplined enough and have the willpower long enough to establish a habit. Then you look disciplined, but you're really on autopilot because you have the habit. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but there's a coach in my industry who says his, his biggest pet peeve is when people say, hey, I need help with my discipline. And he says, no, you don't. You need help with your habits. You're very disciplined to your bad habits. You just need to get disciplined to good habits. Man, that's um, so true. Can I, can I do a side story on David Goggins real quick? Go ahead. So, you know, David Goggins lives in Nashville, right? All right. Yeah. So you remember Shay Eskew? I had him on the podcast. I mean, probably late last year, the Ironman triathlete who had his, the author who had his body burned as a kid. Yeah. That was one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah. So him and I were having breakfast a couple of weeks ago and uh, he told me, so he knows David Goggins and he told me when he was, um, when he was trying to get people to endorse him for, uh, for uh, the book, he tried to get a hold of Goggins and he just couldn't get a hold of him. So eventually he got a hold of his wife and his wife said, Oh, I'll have him call you back. So Shay's just like minding his business. And one day, just middle of the day, he gets a phone call from Goggins and Goggins is like, Hey brother, uh, sorry, I haven't gotten back to you. I'm in uh, I'm in Montana fighting forest fires. I'll get back to you. I promise. And it's like, what? <laughs> Oh, who does that anyway sorry I, I thought those i was at panera at breakfast with shade like i almost fell out of my seat when i heard that so <laughs> back back to uh back to the one thing so one of the things that i thought was so important about what you said about the glass ball shattering you know by the way uh congrats on getting engaged appreciate that man that's the, that's the news. If I had an air horn, it would go pew, 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 pew right now if I had sound effects in the podcast. So you're engaged. You're about to start a family. That's really exciting. The idea of not being able to turn your brain off when you go home to spend time with your family sounds like the most terrifying and miserable experience I can imagine. Yes, because that's, that's got to be your place of refuge. Yeah, and fun and enjoyment and yeah, frustration and, and, and whatever, But because there's good and bad in every aspect of life. But I know people like that. And, you know, think about it like this. So if you just went up to a, a random person on the street or maybe a random listener of this podcast who are not a professional athlete like you, but or they might not be a business owner, they might just be, you know, regular folks in corporate America. They've got a great job. They've got a good life. Like, what would you tell them? How would how would you say they should start implementing some of the things that you've learned from the one thing? First off, I would say they need to read the book. And then just follow the steps. I think one of the first steps is asking that focusing question every day and in every situation until that starts to become a habit. 
And I'm, I'm starting to see the fruits of that now. Just asking before you step into any arena, what is the one thing that I can do such that by doing it, everything else becomes unnecessary or lacks importance? So by asking that question when I step everywhere, that starts to frame my mind to kind of fall in line with these principles. So that's that simple question right there, I think, is the biggest selling point of this book. Yeah. And just to clarify, we don't like we have no deal with the one thing or Keller Williams or anybody. We just think it's awesome. Yeah. We completely came up with this on our own. But no, I agree with you. I think, well, here's the first thing that I would ask somebody, because this is such a hard question to answer, actually. For most people, I think it's super hard. What is your one thing? I think that thing, that question is so hard for people to answer because we're tempted to want to do so many things. And we also think that when that question is asked, that we only have to do one thing, period. So like right now, my one thing is track and field. That's my one thing right now. But that doesn't mean that throughout the day, I have other things that once I get that main thing done, my workout, my recovery, uh, my fueling, I move on to other things that can be done that are not as important, but they're next in the in the hierarchy. Uh, so you can still get other things done as long as your main thing is done. So that question is just so hard because I think it, people feel limited by that question. But until they really, truly answer that question, they're, limit, they're limiting themselves by just being active and not productive. Ooh, being active but not productive. Yeah, how many people you think are guilty of that? I think most people, because I don't think most people know their purpose. And purpose, it's pretty static, you know? Um, I think there are different things, different lower level goals that tend to change throughout our days, weeks and months and years. But when you start to find your purpose and your one thing, uh, to use the terminology of the book, every all those other lower level goals, you can switch them out here and there. But when you know your purpose, you can stand firm in, in your actions because you know what you're what you're going towards. You need that direction, man. And just people people don't have that. People think, oh well, I do. I I'm an accountant. Well, that's good, but what are you what are you doing with that? Like, what is what is your passion behind that? If you're just doing being an accountant for accountant's sake, what is that doing? Are you impacting people? Like, there's a, a quote I saw by Brendan Burchard, and he said that the first level of people trying to attain success is out of lack. People are motivated from lack. Like, I don't have the amount of money I want. I don't have the status I want. I don't have the material things I want. But the next level of success that people reach and the next level of striving that people reach is out of service, serving others who lack. Mm. That's why you wake up in the morning. That's the level that you want to be on because that level is not extinguishing any level. That, that level of success and striving, it, you can't extinguish that because you can always serve more people. But when you get a certain amount of stuff or you get a certain amount of money or you get a certain status, you kind of get complacent then and it's done. So I think that purpose is powerful. Yeah. Well, and that purpose is hard to, to gauge as well because that purpose can evolve over time. It can. It can. And it should actually. As, as your life evolves, you should be evolving with it. It's, man, I hope we didn't talk in circles during this conversation because I, I'm like, I'm still pumped up about this topic and, and it's hard to, you know, it's just such a different interview or conversation, uh, 
you know, format than saying, Hey, James, how's life? You know, tell me about your yeah. story. But I, I would, again, I would just encourage everybody to just go get a copy of the book and just go read it and internalize it because the, all the good that we could do if we just all stopped trying to be good at everything and started focusing on being good at one thing or correction, being excellent at one thing. Mm. Yeah. And then being good in other things. You know, it's, you know, very rarely, you know, even think about it. Like even in sports, we have positions. Okay. Like your, your, your center on a football team is going to be a very different type of athlete than a wide receiver. Okay. One got fed way too many carbs growing up. (laughs) And the other one was chasing rabbits in Pahokee, Florida. Okay. Like growing up. And and that's how he got so fast. Like (laughs) they're, they're two completely different human beings, but they're still on the same football team and they're on the same field and they have a, they have a purpose, a position and a skill set. They're really, really good at, you know, I don't need my center to run a, you know, four, three, 40. I need him. I need him to be able to get off that line quickly and protect the quarterback. That's his job. That's his one thing. So, any parting words, James? Well, I don't think it's a bad thing that our talk might have been circular because all the things we're talking about are interrelated, and all the concepts in the book are so interrelated. Um, so I think that's a good thing. But parting words, I would just challenge people to go out and read this book and kind of see the eye-opening things that we saw. And I hope that it helps people really hone in on simplifying their life because I think, I think when people talk about complexity of their life and all the different things they're doing, it sounds, it sounds sexy, right? It sounds mm-hmm. attractive, but that's not where the results are. That's not where the fulfillment is. That's not where change happens. Change happens when you do something excellent. And when mm. you're able to, if people say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. No, you should put most of your eggs in a basket so that you can become great at something and so that you actually make an impact. Because if you're just putting one egg here, one egg there, one egg there, it's not going to make a dent into anything. And I think if everyone is after their purpose and doing what they should be, just like the example you gave on the football field, if a quarterback is over there trying to, trying to block, I mean, well, Who's going to get the ball? Has the ball going to get downfield? Exactly. He has to, he has his purpose. He has to be doing exactly what he is tailored for. So instead of him trying to be great at everything, oh, that's cool that you can you can run too. That's cool that you can tackle somebody. That's cool that you can block. But you're a quarterback and you're hired to be a quarterback. So make it simple. Do throw and hand off. That's what you need to do. I love it. I love it. Call the plays. All that good stuff. <laughs> Call the plays. Yeah. Yeah. Win the Heisman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, hey, you were going to be on the one year one year anniversary uh, of the podcast, but we decided to make this a standalone episode, which I'm really happy we did. Um, any any final words on that? Since you were the very first millennial manhood guest, I'm just excited that I can be back on here, man. I mean, I know you're my best friend and everything, but I'm glad I can be back here a year later. Um, the things that you've been doing on the podcast have been awesome. The guests have been awesome. Like it's. I knew this was a great idea, but just seeing how this has just the trajectory of everything has been awesome. It's just kind of blown my expectations out of the water. The conversations, the learning I've got from it, and I mean, what, how do you feel like you've changed throughout this whole process and and, and grown from it? Hmm, it's a good question. 
Well, first of all, to say, even though you're my best friend, if your episode had sucked, I wouldn't have asked you back on. Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how have I changed? Uh, well, I would say that I definitely absorb a lot of the people's point of view that I listen to as I'm interviewing them. I think I've become a better communicator. I think I've become better at thinking through what I'm trying to say before I say it, because when you're recording it, you can't just go off the cuff very often. Um, and it's just helped me have a bigger vision for my life. And quite frankly, like it just pumps me up so much that people are out there doing great things. They've got stories. They're willing to share those stories. And in a weird way, it's like restored my faith in humanity because, man, it's so easy to sell people to come on the podcast when the mission is like, hey, let's help young men get better. And people are like, yes, I, w- I want to do that. Like, how do we do that? And it's like, oh, oh okay. Like, I, I mean, I've had people be like, I can record tomorrow. Like, really? Like, okay, sure. Let's let's see if my schedule works. Um, it, it, it's just so exciting. And um, the impact it's had on other people is, is, I don't know, it's just, it's incredible. It's, it's more than I could have ever dreamt of. So again, it's given me a bigger vision for my life on, on top of the vision that I had. And it's, it's just given me another set of glasses to look through when I observe life, because I'm taking all these people's experiences and internalizing them in a way. Um, and that's been, that's been incredibly impactful in my own life. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So, um, we're up on time. I know you got a hard stop here in a couple of minutes. So as always, appreciate you coming on. Everybody out there, go get the one thing. You got questions, concerns, constructive criticism, keyword constructive. Don't complain unless you got a solution. Millennialmanhoodcipagmail.com. Oh, millennialmanhood.net. We got a website, y'all. I completely forgot about Ooh. that. Millennialmanhood.net. Check that bad boy out. We're going to start a blog. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. Millennialmanhood.com was already bought, and they tried to charge me like $2,000 for that stupid uh, domain. So no, <laughs> not doing that. So it's a .net. Uh, <laughs> bringing that .net back. Yeah, bringing the .net back. So check out the website and uh, give us a holler if you want to get in touch. Talk to you guys soon.